What a sight to see Jesus, his face changing, appearance, his clothes dazzling white, and even Moses and Elijah sitting there or standing there talking with him in glory themselves. And it says, in that moment, up on the mountaintop, that the disciples fell into a heavy sleep. It's an interesting word Luke uses because just the chapter before, it's the same idea that Luke uses to describe Jairus' daughter, the girl who dies. And Jesus comes and says, she's not dead, she's just asleep and brings her back to life. I'm not saying that Peter, John, and James actually were dead, but Luke tries to paint this vision perhaps of death. Because when Peter, John, and James wake up, they behold the glory of Jesus with Moses and Elijah. I mean, have you ever fallen asleep and you woke up just in a a situation that was unspeakable or, or something you weren't prepared for and you wondered to yourself if you were dreaming or maybe you weren't quite awake? Here he wakes up to this vision of, of heaven. Perhaps they woke up and thought to themselves, it's happened, we've died, and we've made it. There they are, waking up in this resurrection experience. And we know it's an overwhelming sight because when the, the two start to depart from Jesus, Peter starts to speak, and, and let's build tents, and let's keep them here, we don't want you to leave. And Luke even coaches us with this phrase that Peter didn't know what he was even saying. And so there they are, just overwhelmed by the sight of these three men. And it's interesting just even thinking of Moses' presence and Elijah's presence there. We think of the law and the prophets symbolizing Moses and Elijah. But these two men were men who died or left earth in very interesting ways. Elijah is the one who's taken up to heaven in a, in a fiery chariot. And Moses, as we heard in the Old Testament reading today, is the one who is buried by God and no one actually knows where he's buried. These men leave earth in a strange way and here they are with Jesus speaking about the departure or the exodus of Jesus as he enters into Jerusalem. And in that moment of Peter speaking in this, in this powerful uh, experience, It says this cloud comes and overshadows them. And this would harken back to the images of Exodus. When the cloud would come over the tent of meeting and God's presence would be intimate to those who were there. God's presence was overwhelming. And this is the very idea that's used when the Holy Spirit comes and overshadows Mary in Luke 1. This idea that the presence of God is intimate and here now. And so here they are, and they've seen his glory, and then God the Father uses this cloud to blind them, and then speaks, you, let me rephrase it, he speaks to the disciples, this is my beloved son, my chosen one, listen to him. Now in the baptism, the Father's voice addresses Jesus, you are my beloved son, but here it's directed towards the three apostles, this is my beloved son, my chosen one, listen to him. And again, we're pulled back to Exodus when in Deuteronomy 18, Moses tells the people, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It's to him you shall listen. This is the prophet who is not just like Moses, but greater than Moses, who signs and wonders tell of his divinity. And here, that divinity is bursting through and shining. 
And so the cloud clears after the Father speaks, and they can see again, and Jesus now looks normal, no longer transfigured. And they come off this mountaintop, literal mountaintop experience. They go into the village, and the first thing they encounter is a boy possessed by a demon. That the disciples have been trying to cast the demon out, but nothing's working. They failed. The disciples move from glory into hardship and even, even failure. That only Jesus can do something about this. It seems to be in life that those mountaintop experiences coming off the mountain is when Satan is posed or poised to strike. To remind you of the harsh and bitter realities of this world. So you have those mountaintop experiences, life is really, really great, and the next thing you know, everything seems to be falling to pieces. Think of Moses. Moses goes up on the mountain to get the Ten Commandments. This powerful encounter with God. He comes down and the people of Israel are worshiping the golden calf. Elijah defeats the prophets of Baal in this incredible showing of God's power. And that's no more than finished than he's running off into the wilderness and into the caves to avoid Jezebel who's trying to take his life. And maybe you have experienced that too. Those mountaintop moments and then you come back and the reality of the world hits and hits hard. It's as if Satan's trying to tell us that that's not real. That glimpse into heaven, that's fake. There's nothing like that. This is all there is. This is all you have to look forward to. The brokenness. And how we long to go back to the mountain, right? But we can't. We can't go back to the mountain, but we can't forget either where we came from. We can't forget what we were able to see. That glimpse into hope. That glimpse into heaven. That glimpse into the resurrection. To give us hope for what's next. Like Pastor Milky said last week about these glimpses into heaven. The Hershey kiss you got. Maybe you made it to the door. Did you make it to the door? Maybe you made it to your car. Maybe. Right? That, that Hershey, you can't cling to it. Enjoy it for what it is, but then we must move on with the hope of what is to come. All these, all these little glimpses into the divinity of Christ, all these little glimpses into the resurrection are, are things to, to give thanks for, but we can't cling to them because they're only a taste of what is to come. You, can't, you don't come off the mountain looking for the good old days and wanting to live in the past. But with this glimpse of heaven in mind to look with great excitement into the future of what is to be. Because what we see in that moment is who we are. He gives us a glimpse when he shines his divinity out through his humanity. He gives us a glimpse of who we are and what we are destined for in him. But we must first listen. Listen to him. What does our brother Jesus say? Right after coming down off the mountain, he has these little snippets, these little one-sentence encounters with people. One of the first things he says is, let these words sink into your ears. The Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men. And then a little while later, he says, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. He's talking about, and God is asking them to hear, the disciples to hear, of the very thing Jesus talked about with Moses and Elijah, his departure, his exodus in Jerusalem. 
His death is coming. The suffering is coming. And that's even how this whole section before the transfiguration begins. Right before the transfiguration, Jesus asks his disciples, who do they say I am? And they say, well, some say Elijah and some say John the Baptist. No, but who do you say I am? And Peter says, you are the Christ of God. That is the Messiah, the anointed one, the one sent from God. As God the Father just confirmed, the chosen one. And so Jesus then tells him right after the confession, the Son of Man must suffer many things. He must be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And then he goes on to say, for whoever is ashamed of me and my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. Ashamed of my words. Listen to him. It's a call to listen to him. And for a moment you might think the glory is on the mountain of transfiguration, but that's only a glimpse of his glory. You see, the true glory of God in Jesus is not shown in the mountaintop, but in the valley of death that he now enters into. His glory is shown as they betray him one of his closest friends, with a kiss. The glory of God is shown when those who were closest to him lie about their relation. The glory of God is shown when they strip him naked and they beat him and they nail him to a cross and hang him up for all the world to see to humiliate him. The glory of God is shown when he dies. And as he sits on his throne, flanked on his right and the left by two thieves, criminals, It is in those moments the glory of God is shown if we only listen to him. Listening must precede seeing. It always must precede seeing with Jesus Christ. Otherwise we see these things and we see death and humiliation and we cannot make sense of it all. It is loss. It is defeat. But if we listen to him and we hear what he is saying and the promise he makes to us, it is Jesus who bears our sin, Jesus who bears our suffering, Jesus who bears our death and humiliation. On our behalf, Jesus who bears all of it so that we can share in his glory. Jesus who is laid naked so that we can put on his cloth of righteousness in our baptism and have life. He restores us to life because as he said, it does not end in death, it ends in resurrection. And that resurrection he shares with us. And Luke, as he writes this, is getting to that as he starts off this section saying, eight days later, eight days after Peter's confession, or about eight days, he says. Matthew and Mark say it was exactly six, and Luke says, well, it was about eight. But eight days should be significant because it reminds us of the new creation. God created in seven days, but on Sunday, it is Jesus who raises from the dead to give us new life, to restore all that is broken, to point us to eternity. It is this new creation, it is this new exodus that Jesus goes through. No longer about freedom from the Egyptians, but freedom from sin. No longer about entering into some promised land, but entering into God's eternal kingdom. And so we cling to this, we hope in this. So that that little glimpse of glory, we get a share in even more fully. 
In Moses and Elijah and Jesus, we see who we are. Through Christ Jesus, we are the brothers and sisters of Jesus. He is our brother. We are the sons and daughters of God the Father. We now enter into this penitential season of Lent. And I challenge you, brothers and sisters, will you listen to him? Will we listen to his voice? Will we seek to hear the words of Jesus in worship? Will we share the words of Jesus in our homes, in devotion? Will we hear the voice of Jesus calling us to repentance, to acknowledge our sin? Will we hear his words of forgiveness? As Jesus sets his face on Jerusalem, on this new exodus, will we, with strength and courage, journey with him? Even to Calvary. During the weekends, we're going to be hearing through the lectionary stories, powerful stories of mercy and forgiveness, of lives that were changed by, by, the, by the love of Jesus. And during the midweek services, we're going to be going through a series called Behold the Man. We're going to be looking at Jesus and all of his humanity. That humanity for this moment that shone with great divinity. But now we're going to look at him. This, the God who, who is our brother, who did not distance himself, but took on mortal flesh in order to experience and take on our behalf all the punishments meant for us and our sin. The suffering destined for us. The death destined for us so that we might truly live, and so that we might truly know who we are, children of God. We are children of God. Satan will cause you to doubt. He will accuse you. And as you draw close in this Lenten season, he will be waiting to strike. Go to Jesus. As the disciples did coming off the mountain, Go to Jesus. He wishes to gather us, to love us, to bring us home with him for all time. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.